Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. So we like to keep things interesting here, keep us on our toes. Uh, you never know what you're going to find. But today, we are actually um, almost through with a discussion that we've been in uh, for quite some time uh, on the Holy Spirit. We, we've been learning about the Holy Spirit, uh, who He is, how He works, um, how we relate to Him. And then we transitioned several weeks ago into going through the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, and how we interact with those gifts and how those gifts can be available at any time because uh, the Scriptures tell us that they're His gifts, He owns them, and He distributes them as He sees fit. And so one of the things we've been saying is that the gifts of the Spirit are situational, they're not occupational. So in other words, it's not as though one of us is, uh, has the gift of faith and no one else does. Uh, it's as though that when the Holy Spirit sees fit and he distributes that gift, that we can all receive that at, at all times whenever he deems. So, in going through that, we've been looking at the gifts and, and trying to figure out how do we understand them. Because Paul tells us in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12 that we shouldn't be ignorant about the gifts, but we should learn about them and desire the gifts. And so we're going through a study. We've talked about um, prophecy, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits, and uh, we've spent last week on the gift of tongues, so I'm surprised you guys came back. Uh, you know, we, we said, let's do the gift of tongues on Father's Day. Fathers love awkward humor. Let's keep that going. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I wasn't sure if anyone was going to show back up today, but you did, so thank you so much. Maybe you missed it. I did give you that chance. I said, if you want to skip one, you might want to skip this one if it makes you uncomfortable, uh, and then you can listen to the podcast. Uh, about it. But we're going to jump right in here to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. We read this every week. It says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are a good dad who gives good gifts. Jesus, this is your church. You are in charge. And Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you run this service? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So this week we're going to be talking about faith and the working of miracles. And, uh, and so next week we're going to spend talking about uh, the gifts of healings. And, uh, and then that will conclude our, uh, our talks on the spiritual gifts. And then we'll move into the fruit of the Spirit and everyone will feel a little bit more comfortable when we get into love and joy and peace and, and all of that. And so, uh, so today I'm actually really excited to talk to you about faith. Uh, we're going to be talking about faith, and in conjunction, faith and the working of miracles and healing seem to go together. They're grouped together classically by theologians as the, the power gifts, the dynamic gifts. Uh, some of them refer to them as the hand of God gifts, where the others may be the mouth or the word of God. 
And these gifts seem to run in tangent with one another, but they are separate, but they seem to work together. Just like words of knowledge and prophecy and discerning of spirits and words of wisdom work together to sort of create a ministry experience uh, for those that are being ministered to, so it is here, faith, the working of miracles, and healings, uh, those seem to work together. So we're going to save healing for next week, but we're going to also talk about it this week because it does play a part when we're dealing with faith. So before we jump into it, we have to understand what is faith? What does the Bible say faith is? And faith can represent a lot of things. In fact, it's, it's usually one word that is interpreted a few different ways. And, and what faith is, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 11.1, 1, is it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So first we understand Faith is a substance. Faith in the spiritual realm carries weight. There, there is uh, um, almost a tangible effect of faith. And the scriptures tell us here that it is the substance. It's the, the substance. This word substance means the, the foundation. And it actually means the foundation that actually exists. It's kind of what the definition goes into. So it is the real foundation of what we're hoping for. And what we're hoping for is that the kingdom of God breaks through, and that his rule and reign breaks into our everyday lives, and the way that comes is through faith by grace. See, faith is sort of the, the catalyst for it, and grace is somewhat the conduit. So we're saved by faith through grace. So it's the faith that's saving us coming through the grace. So faith is a substance, and it's a substance that helps us attain what we're hoping for. And so the scriptures, especially the Gospels, all seem to point to a direct correlation between faith and the effectiveness of our prayers. The, the Gospels are, are wrought with Jesus talking about faith in relation to the resulting miracle, the resulting healing, or the lack thereof. Now, one of the things we say all the time here is that when there's abuses, we, we don't run away from them. And so... Uh, so when, when things have been abused, the typical tendency is to shy away and to just not talk to, about those things, put them on the shelf, and leave them for another day. But we know that we just we can't do that. If we're going to be faithful to the scriptures and, and faithful to the word, we have to look these things in the face and say, let's put the abuses aside and see what do the scriptures say. Because the enemy always tries to get us off our talking points by the abuse that he sort of stirs up. And so a, a good way to figure out where's the gold is to say, where, where the, where's the abuse happening when it comes to the scriptures? And typically he's using that as a deflector because he's trying to keep us from what the Lord has for us. So in this case, faith and faith in the effectiveness of our prayers has been greatly abused. And I, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, and maybe you've unfortunately been the recipient of guilt and shame that has come because you have needed healing, and you didn't get your healing, and someone blamed you for not having enough faith. And that is unbelievably terrible and unbelievably common. And so a lot of times then we, we want to disassociate from that. We don't want to be those kinds of people. We don't want to be that kind of church. And what you would do then is to say, well, it has nothing to do with faith, but we just, we can't if we're going to be faithful to the scriptures. And so what we want to look at is we want to say, well, well, whose faith is it? Is it the person praying? Is it their faith, the one that's, that's the instigator of the prayer? 
Is it the one receiving the prayer? Is it their faith? Or maybe it's this gathered corporate faith. And the answer is yes. Yes to each of those. There is an element of faith that is activated by the instigator, the one praying. There's a level of faith that is activated by the one receiving. And there's a level of faith that's involved by the gathered crowd around them, or in our case, the church. And so we want to look through the scriptures and realize that there are three or four or ten or twelve different scenarios where each one of those factors are in play, and the result of the faith is the miracle. And so we need to understand that while there have been abuses, we need, we need to grasp the idea that faith does have power. It does have effectiveness, and the level of faith is directly correlated to the effectiveness of our prayers. So we want to look at these three different examples in Scripture. And we, we look first at Lazarus, the story of Lazarus. And this is in John eleven forty three, And it says, Now when he had said these things, Jesus, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. So the question is, who had the faith in this scenario? I mean, obviously it wasn't Lazarus, right? Lazarus was dead. So his faith had nothing to do with the miracle, which then means that we are able to have faith and pray for someone who doesn't have faith, and because of our faith, we can see the miracle result, which takes the onus off the one receiving prayer. It takes the guilt and the responsibility away from the one that is receiving the prayer, because Jesus here had the faith, and Jesus prayed, and the faith resulted in the miracle. We see this over and over again in the Gospels. The disciples come and they say, we couldn't do this, we couldn't drive out this team, we couldn't do these things. And, and Jesus never says, oh, it's because that person didn't really want it. They didn't really want to get healed. They didn't really believe enough. So you're good, keep going. He typically puts the blame on the ones instigating and says, well, this one comes out with prayer and fasting. Did you pray and fast enough? Looks like you didn't. So as a rule here, like when we're doing ministry training and when we're doing our School of Kingdom ministry and, and praying for people, the rule is, is that we need to go and figure out why the healing, the answer didn't come. Not the person receiving, right? So uh, it's just a good rule, uh, especially in the context of altar ministry. And, and uh, Bill Johnson says it like this. People come all over the world to, to Bethel and Reading to receive prayer because miracles continually happen there. And desperate people will, will go a long way for their healing. And there's been so many times, he, he writes about it, he says, there's been so many times that the people have come to him desperate for prayer and all they got was him. They didn't get Jesus and they didn't get healed. And, and his answer to that is to go back on his knees and say, Lord, how do I decrease, and, and how do you become more involved in this process? Because these people are desperate, and they're dying, and all they're getting is me, and I don't have the power. And it's the same with us, is that we need to understand that, that the, the responsibility, first and foremost, comes to us as the instigators, rather than those receiving prayer. I mean, they're already sick and broken enough. Do they need the shame of lacking faith? I don't think so. So we want to never put the blame 
on them. However, there are stories in the scriptures where the person receiving the prayer had the faith, and it resulted in the miracle. So we'll look uh, here at the next story. It's the story of the blind man Bartimaeus. This is in Mark 10, 46. Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, started set by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man and saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. So Jesus was walking, and it was the man's faith, the recipient of the prayer's faith, that caused the miracle. It wasn't necessarily, in this instance, Jesus, which is an interesting thought to think of. I mean, we think about the woman with the issue of blood. You remember that story? And she's been bleeding for 12 years. The doctors can't figure it out. And he's walking through a crowd. Everyone is gathered around him. Everyone is, is, you know, there's a great multitude pressing in on him. And she touches the hem of his garment. And she receives healing. And Jesus said, who touched me? And everyone's like, everyone touched you? But what happened is he said, who touched me with enough faith to draw the power? She had enough faith to draw out the power. And the power was resting on Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We see it again in Acts, when, when Peter and John, they're walking and their shadows are falling, and people are getting healed. How do you think that happened? Magic shadows? No. These people had enough faith to believe that if I can be in the presence of these disciples, that their God will heal me. And just the shadow carrying the presence distributed the power, and they were healed. And so there is extreme power in faith, in the faith of other people, in the faith that can pull on when, when you don't even have faith or when you're not concentrating on having faith. Because if we're people of the presence, if we're people that are hosting the presence, then we see that the presence is in the power and the power is in the presence, they go hand in hand, then we're hosting the presence, and as we host the presence, if someone comes around us with the faith to believe, then they can have an encounter, a miraculous moment, really without us even being aware. It's amazing. And so that's the other way it can come by the ones receiving the faith. Then we have uh, the friends of faith. This is the gathered crowd. This is in Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 17. It says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. 
And when he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven. And he goes on and he was healed. And it's important to note that the man being carried didn't have faith, according to Jesus. Maybe he had some, but it wasn't his faith that was credited to the miracles. It was his friends. Which means it gives sort of another reason to gather around people. Uh, to gather around people regularly, whether it's in small groups, whether it's in a church setting. You want to gather around people that have enough faith for when you don't have your faith, they can lend you some of theirs. And, and there's so much power in a corporate faith, in faith of friends. Because we're always going to have times and moments where we're not going to have faith. We're not going to have enough faith to believe for the miracle that we so desperately need because I mean, faith sees the impossible and it says, well, if it's just the impossible, that's the problem. It should be no problem because our God is the God of the impossible, right? But, but a lot of times we're looking at the realities that we're seeing in our own eyes. We're looking at the storm. We're looking at the waves. And when we take our eyes off of the power and the presence of Jesus, we begin to lose our faith. It begins, it begins to go down. And that's going to happen. And then what you need are people together around you that have the faith that you need. And so it's an incredible thing. I mean, if you think about it in in a church setting, I mean, we're hoping that when we gather here, that there are those of us gathered here that are full of faith. That are so full of faith that as we're singing and, and as we're praying and as we're in communion, that the corporate faith is beginning to rise. And at that point in time, especially dependent upon what we just read, the atmosphere literally becomes pregnant with possibilities because of the corporate faith that is there that all that needs to happen is sort of a recognition. And you begin to draw on that faith, and the faith becomes the conduit to the power. It's really remarkable. And so when we we gather together, honestly, the hope is is that we continue to, to build faith, that each song that we sing faith will begin to rise up in us. Each, each chorus that we, that we sing about God's unfailing, never-ending, unchanging love is, is, a, is a building block in our own faith so that either we can receive what we need or those around us can. And so there's definitely a difference of, of receiving a prayer from someone who is full of faith and, and someone who's not. And we see this over and over again Which leads us to the next part, is that there's another part of this faith equation, and it's unbelief. Scriptures talk a lot about unbelief, and a lot of times we'll assume that unbelief is merely the absence of faith. But unbelief is really faith working backwards. It's an anti-faith. It is something that begins to pull away from the faith that is is present at that time. And and we'll, we'll look at these these couple of stories to show you how big of a deal unbelief was to Jesus and how big of a deal it was into his ministry. In Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 37, this is a story. There's this centurion, um, no, this is the synagogue ruler, and he's, he's come up to Jesus and says, my daughter is sick, can you come pray with her? And he says, sure, let's go pray. And so they begin to, to leave, and uh, on their way, his friends meet him. They say, hey, listen, she, she's dead. Please leave him alone. We'll pick up there. Um, and uh, 
Yep, yeah, we'll pick up there. Verse 37 says, And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So Jesus is going to this house to pray for someone. And he has other followers, and he says, I, I need sort of my core group, no more. I need my core group with me, and I'm going to take them with me. So he's going, he's with them on their way. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. So Jesus is going to heal this sick girl. The friends come. They say she's already dead. Jesus immediately pivots. We didn't read that verse, but right before, he, he basically pivots, looks at him, and says, do not fear, but believe. Only believe. So he's addressing it right there. He's trying to get it. Don't let unbelief creep in. You had enough faith to come to me. Don't allow this to rob you. Don't let the fear rob you. And so then he says, at that point, he says, I'm just going to take my three guys because there's some dead raising that needs to go on, and that's going to require an extra amount of faith. And so that's my interpretation. So he takes, he takes the three, the core members with him, and they get to the house. And I believe, it doesn't say this again, I'm taking a little license here, but I believe he says what he says. He says, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. I think he may have said that, not because he was being, you know, sarcastic and trying to get a rise from people. I think he was trying to gauge the faith level in the crowd to see where, where are we here? And when he got the cynical reaction of unbelief, he decided to move them away from the situation. So after he had driven everyone else out of the house, he had no room here for unbelief because there was some dead raising that needed to happen. And then he took everyone with him, the only the people that had what he presumed to be the faith necessary to see this happen. There's another amazing, like, incredible example of this in Mark chapter 6, verse 5. This is Jesus He's going to his hometown to minister. This is where he grew up, okay? And this is the famous one where a prophet is without honor in his hometown and all that. And so now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. This is crazy when we think about it. Jesus, the Messiah, came to his hometown because there was a lack of belief, he could do no mighty work there. The words mighty work here are the same words for miracles. So he could do no miracles in the town that he was from because of the unbelief. Which begs the question then, how did they know that he could do no miracles? Could it be that Jesus tried and couldn't get a miracle to happen? I mean, could you wrap your head around that? Jesus came to this town and could not do any miracles. So either he knew he had a heads up from someone or he may have attempted and then found that he couldn't do it. it it's pretty incredible. So Jesus has, he's in the town. He's trying to do miracles. He, he can't do miracles. And he can only heal a few people, which tells us a, a couple things. First, Apparently, there's a, a level of faith that is needed for miracles, 
and there's a, a smaller level of faith that is needed for healings. Otherwise, how can you do healings and not miracles? It's interesting. And, and furthermore, Jesus marveled in two places. Like, he was just, like, awestruck. In two places, this instance, at a lack of belief or unbelief, and another instance at uh, an amount of faith. So someone had an amount of faith that caused him to marvel. It's as though Jesus understood the principle of faith and how important it was to carry out the works of the kingdom. And when we see the faith present in, throughout the Gospels, we see miracles. And when we see a lack of faith present, we, we don't seem to see those miracles occur. So uh, we're going to maybe stretch you a bit. Um, we never want to be formulaic, right? So this is not a real formula. Um, but it's an example as to what we're trying to get across. So if you can put that up, the next slide. So, obviously, we don't know how much faith equals what. Yeah, you can get back to that. But for an example, just so we can help us think through the idea of faith, and if faith is a substance, and if faith can have a lack, and if faith can have abundance, then at some point someone is measuring it. It's not us. But it is a measurable substance, and the amount of that substance creates a, a result. So let's assume that 200 units of faith equals a miracle. Again, I have no idea how much a unit of faith is. I don't, I don't know how much units of faith, so this is not a formula, but this is an example. And 100 units of faith equal a healing, okay? So then we can go to the next slide. So this is sort of a, a formula. This is where my finance degree can put some of you to sleep. This is sort of an algebra formula of how we arrive at a healing. And it's an example. So, so 50 units of faith, however much that is, is coming from the instigator, the one praying. He's, he's got or she's got a certain amount of faith. Then you can have 25 units of some faith from the one receiving. And then you have 25 from the others around. There's some faith in the room, and you result in a healing, potentially. So when we talk about unbelief, however, unbelief is not a zero in this equation, it's a negative. It's a, it's a detractor. And so unbelief isn't in the equation just a zero, it's a negative number. So we'll throw up the next equation here. The teachers in the room are loving this. Uh, so you have 50, same units, 50 units from the instigator, 25 from the receiver, 25 from the church, and then a negative 25 of unbelief, which results not in the desired healing. Which then means, you can throw up the next one, we have to overcome the unbelief somehow. Either through, as Jesus did, removing the unbelief from the presence of saying, hey, if, if you know, we need people that believe this is going to be, this is going to be serious, like this is going to be something that we're, we really need all the faith we can get. Or we access the gift of faith. We call, we call on the Holy Spirit who, who is faithful, and, and, and Jesus tells us that if, if your son or your daughter asks you for something, asks you for bread, and you give him a snake, so we're supposed to ask for these, desire these, so if we begin to call on the Holy Spirit and say, there's obviously, I mean, always, there's going to be some level of unbelief. Would you help us? Would you help my unbelief? And when you pull on that gift, the gift then comes into the equation, 
negating the unbelief and hopefully superseding it in such a way that results in a healing. Now again, we're vineyard. We hate formulas. We don't even like to tuck in our shirts. So I just want to make sure everyone knows I'm not saying this is the formula to achieve healing. But what I am saying is that the scriptures seem to say that faith is very much required for a working of miracles or for a healing. And if that is the case, how do we arrive at that? How do we get that? Which is what we're going to talk about right now. See, we all have a measure of faith, which you may not know. Like some of us feel just completely faithless, no faith whatsoever in the game. But we see that uh, Romans 12:3 says, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So each one of us have a measure, kind of another indicator that faith can be measured, have a measure of faith that we, through grace, receive, so whatever he deems necessary, we, we just have that faith inside of us. Okay, all together. So we all understand then that we have faith if we believe. We do. So you may feel like you don't have faith, but this is telling us you do. Now, what you may say is, I have faith, but I have like, it's the smallest. Like it's so little. It's, I mean, I don't know, like a mustard seed. And Jesus, I think, knew that. And so he goes into it and he begins to tell them that if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain, which means that faith is a highly combustible substance, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's some sort of like Marvel Comics type of energy source that is present and not much is needed in order to achieve great results. So everyone is off the hook on saying that we can't, we don't have any faith and we surely don't have faith to do this. I think Jesus knew that might come up and so he said, you know what? Even a mustard seed. Ah. So we have faith. And James actually tells us then that we're supposed to work our faith out. So just because you have faith doesn't necessarily mean that it's as strong or it's in the posture that it needs to be. This isn't unbelief. This is just your level of faith has decreased over time, which seems to happen the more you don't see answered prayers. Has anyone ever noticed that? The more our prayers aren't answered, the harder it is to muster faith, to muster a mustard seed. Interesting. And, and, the, and, and the more times that we pray, that we cry out for the Lord, and that doesn't happen, it's like the enemy knows, aha, this is where I can get a foothold. This is where I can come in and begin to tell them why. Just don't even bother. Don't even bother praying, because see, that's the trick. That's sort of the great aha of the enemy, is he knows how combustible faith is. And he knows that we have faith, just period. And what he wants us to do is never pray because he understands the power of the instigator, the one, being, the one praying, the one receiving prayer, and the collective crowd. So in other words, you could be here, you could have a huge need, and you could have been praying for that need forever. And there could be enough faith here present for your miracle. 
but the enemy is working overtime to tell you it's just stupid to even try. I mean, has anyone else ever felt that? Like, I'm not even going to bother asking. I'm not even going to bother praying again because I feel silly, I feel needy, I feel, I'm just, I don't want to get disappointed again. And so we see that the enemy is working overtime. James tells us that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So, in the vineyard we say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. We must enter into a posture of risk in order to work out our faith, in order to access and grow in our faith. There's all kinds of ways that we can begin to grow our faith. We can, we can, like we said last week, we can speak in tongues and sing in tongues, and it edifies ourselves. Faith comes through hearing the word, and that word is rhema, the freshly spoken word. It comes from a posture of leaning in. But the moral of the story is, is that you have faith, and faith is absolutely necessary to see your miracle result. And you have enough faith, just as it is, to continue to press on. And if not, someone close to you here today does. Which then results in a miracle. And miracle is the, is the workings of miracles. Paul goes to great detail to make sure he understands that miracles are us working with God and, and resulting in a power encounter. The word miracle is dunamis. It's, it's dynamite. It's dynamic power. And it's us entering into a scenario where God's power comes and is on display. And it's amazing. And so if you need a miracle today, this is a really good day to be here. Because I think there are people in here that have faith, that are full of faith, that are on a high of faith, and, and that are believing and ready and willing to stand with you, to carry you if need be. And, and we're accessing a faith that is here. We had visitors come uh, on Wednesday, and one of the visitors said, you know, I don't know what it is about just this room, but as soon as we walked in, I just felt this rush of faith. I just felt this rush of faith, and they began to be activated in all of these gifts that had been dormant in their lives for quite a while. It may be because we've been seeking this for a long time. And so today is that day. We're going to have ministry time, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit because it's only through Him that these gifts are available. And we are going to release the gift of faith. And if you need faith, then your posture is to receive that gift. It's a two-way street. And the way you receive is you just open your arms, you open your heart, and you just say, I receive it. I receive everything you have for me. I yield. I, I can't muster this faith up. I just receive the gift of faith. And then you believe that you have received it. And then you, you begin to step in and pray. Don't fear, but believe. Believe that you've received the faith. Believe that he's faithful. Believe that he keeps his promises. So we're going to sing. We're going to get our minds attuned. We're going to raise the level of faith again as we begin to sing, I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. I believe in you. Why do you think we sing that over and over again? Because we love it? No. Because if we sing it enough, maybe we'll believe it. If we sing it enough, our spirit man may believe it. And so we're, we're going to believe 
that he is the God of miracles. And then he's here. His presence is here, by the way. It is here, and there are miracles that have been prayed for, that have been longed for, that have been sought for for years, and today is the day. Today is the day for those miracles to come to fruition. I believe it. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good dad with good gifts. We thank you that you are ready and waiting to distribute these gifts for our needs. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, for the gift of faith. We just receive the gift of faith right now. In faith, we receive it. And I just release the gift of faith over this church in Jesus' name. We activate that mustard seed. We activate that faith right now in the name of Jesus. To begin to believe that you are the God of miracles and believe for our miracle today. So begin to, begin to sing, begin to pray, begin to agree that you will continue, that you will not fear, And we rebuke fear in the name of Jesus. We know it's not from you, Father. We receive the gift of faith. For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.